Welcome to episode 5 of Design Unmuted. On this episode, we switch gears to fashion. We unpack the dirty little secrets of African wax prints. In fact, you could argue that they're not really African. We talk about the global and colonial complicated history behind it and how it has evolved through time till today. We do all this with my guest, Alette Caboret. Alette Caboret is a self-taught fashion designer and entrepreneur. Hello and welcome to Design Unmuted, a podcast that centers marginalized voices in design, art, and all things creative. I am your host, Divine, a landscape designer and social critic. My guest today is Alette Caboret. Alette is a fashion designer with an interesting background in science and public health. And I have known Alette for over 10 years and we met in the cold prairies of Edmonton a really long time ago. Over 10 years, was it 2006 or 2007? Can't remember, but I will let Alette introduce herself. Hello, Divine. Uh, everyone, hi, welcome, and thank you for having me. Uh, so, like Divine said, yeah, I think we met back in 2006, so it's been a while. Kind of dating people here, but okay. <laughs> so, I'm originally from uh, Burkina Faso, which is a West African country. And I actually moved uh, to Edmonton back in 2006 to pursue my studies. I did a bachelor in science, then I went on to do a master's in public health. And um, after that, I kind of got um, this idea to start my own business somehow. <laughs> and so because I was into fashion and I was doing pieces for myself and some friends, I decided that that was the way to go, do something you're passionate about and something you're enjoying. So I went on to launch my own business a little over a year ago. And so I have a business in fashion where I create, manufacture, and sell my apparel, and it's called Kin Apparel. Yes, and I will testify and say that your work is amazing. I have a few pieces myself, and I am really impressed by your journey because you're self-taught. And your entrepreneurship is quite amazing uh, because you were doing this while you were holding a full full time jobs, um, several ones. I think you were working for the provincial government at some point, and now you're working for the University of Alberta. So, can you tell us a little bit more about the, the specific journey uh, <laughs> to towards? Teaching yourself first how to create, how to design, and really just kind of like because it's quite it's quite a courageous act, and like where that came from. How how did you how did you do it? Thanks, David. I think uh, you're very you're being very generous here. Courageous or crazy, uh, it depends <laughs> how you. <laughs> you know, um. I guess like moving here in Alberta from Africa and coming here and not being able, we're so used back in uh, in Burkina Faso to just like walk at the corner 
of your of your uh, neighborhood and just go to the tailor and ask them to like create you something you imagine and they come up with a solution to make it happen. If you have a, some clothing to take in, take out, you bring it and they do that. And I moved out here and I didn't have that access anymore, literally. So the first thing that made me start teaching myself was like I had clothes that I brought with me and sometimes I wanted them taken out or taken in. And it costs more money to do that here than actually the, the price of the clothing itself when it was made. Right. Which sounded a little bit uh, ridiculous to me at that time. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to learn the basics of sewing. And then I can kind of like take in my clothes myself instead of trying to pay more than what I pay, paid for the actual outfit to get it uh, taken in. So I just bought myself a machine. It was like less than a hundred bucks at Walmart. And then they have those little uh, teaching centers that you can go to. And I just went in register for one for just uh, introduction to sewing. Mm-hmm. So that I learned how to use the machine. And I went, I did a couple of hours of that. And then from there, I was like, okay, I got this. We have some materials <laughs> online. You can find them on YouTube. YouTube. YouTube is amazing. So I went on to kind yeah. of learn how to sew more things, how to design, how to craft things. And then that's how I kind of gotten into making my own clothes and creating my own designs. Nice, nice. Where do you find the inspiration? Like what, like uh, how do you go about the pieces that you make? That's the, the million dollar question right there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> because... Um, I think inspiration for me comes from everywhere, actually. Like, mm-hmm. sometimes I'll see a fabric and the fabric would inspire me to make a design. And I get right. very excited about it. And sometimes it's more like you see how people are wearing things or uh, other outfits out there. And you're like, hmm, I would like this, but I would change this part and I would change that part and make it right. this way. So it's more about a process of just incorporating your daily life into what you're designing basically it's like mm-hmm. the process of your experiences and your imagination coming together and making things happen so it's kind of for me sometimes it's the colors because i want to match them together with certain patterns sometimes right. it's just um okay I'm, I'm like i want i want a coat but i want it colorful i don't want it black so i try to make one with colors so it's it's kind of all over the place but some what how i can kind of summarize it it's like my daily experiences Mm -hmm. my imagination of like what i want what i aspired yeah nice is there a piece that was the most exciting piece you've created that you want to talk about or the thing you're most proud of Oh, gosh. I think it changes every time I, I sit down and I create new pieces. I just get to, like, like one more than the other after a while. <laughs> and I think it also comes with um, having people wear the pieces. When you see them on people, especially for, like, passion walks and things like that, the piece comes to life. And it's, like, depending on the model and their attitude, you just, like, you just fell in love again all over with your piece. Yeah. You're like, did I even design this? Because of just how the way the, the piece comes to life. So I don't know. I have so many pieces that I made that I really, really like. 
but if I'm going to, I really tend to like my winter pieces, the mm-hmm. coats, uh, more than anything else because it's just um, different with what you usually wear here in Canada. Most yeah. people, their coats are like solid colors. Yes. It's like black, gray most of the time. And sometimes mm-hmm. you'll see people wearing like their blue or the red, but it's just solid. It's one type of color most of the time. And it's the same thing over and over. And I always want I'm like, winter is already so like dark, so sad, yeah. so depressing. So I'm like, I need some colors in it. Totally. Right? So I find coats that are colorful like that with the designs that I wanted with the acceptable pricing either. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to start making quotes with my idea of what I'm expecting from it as uh, colors and uh, design-wise. And so the first quotes that I made, I was like, oh, my God, this 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 actually works. Like, it keeps you yeah. warm and it's cool, it's colorful. So I really like playing with those warm material that you need to wear here when it's winter and adding mm-hmm piece of those African wax prints in them and making them cool, fancy, or like very fashionable. I really enjoy that. I mean, like uh, I got the poncho that you made and it is my one of my favorite things to wear. And I was like, you know what? This thing was made by someone who truly understands what it means to stay warm while staying like looking good. Because that double fleece is life, but that beautiful edge, it's such a clean, minimal, but so vibrant. And every time I wear it, everybody's like, oh my gosh, that's so nice. What you get from? It's like, yeah, my friend makes this. Go get yours. (laughs) People like that design and because it's very minimalistic and warm, anybody can wear it, right? Because sometimes when it comes to African prints, if you make the full outfit in African prints, a lot of people are like, oh my mm-hmm. God, that is so much print for me. I cannot handle this. And so my idea here yeah. was, you know, you can still have those prints and not be overwhelmed by them. And it was yeah. for me a, a way to share my culture to, with other cultures mm-hmm. and also kind of like bring my 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 African background with my Canadian background because at this point truth is like I'm I'm starting to feel as African as I'm feeling Canadian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it would be half half of my life lived in Africa and half life lived here. So it's like I feel both cultures in me. And so yeah. I wanna represent that right. So it's uh it's a way for me to kind of bring that out. Totally. Actually, this is a good segue. Um, I really wanted to talk to you about uh, this idea of like uh, the African fabric, uh, which is ambiguous and and the idea of culture and fusion, because the, what we call the African fabric is, is a Dutch uh, wax clothing, which they stole when they went to the East Indies, uh, I think present day Indonesia, uh, where they stole kind of like the batik uh, printing techniques and then co-opted that along with many other things <laughs> uh, and then started trading uh, those fabric with uh, 
West Africa. Mm-hmm. And it and because of that history, uh, that fabric became almost like emblematic to West African culture first. It was very much predominant in Western Africa, but but then it, it kind of got moved throughout the whole continent and to the point where it became known as African print. Although technically one could argue that we are the consumer of it, though there is, <laughs> you know, it's like, is it cultural appropriation? Right. And to me, I want to get your thoughts about this. To me, it makes me kind of sad because um, we don't, we st- like along with many things, like, we don't control the means of production of these value-added things and products that can get to define our cultures like this. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also well, because we're, we're it, it's ours. We're the consumers mm-hmm. of it. <laughs> so like, mm-hmm. how, how, how do you approach it? And because I know you're aware of this and um, you also use this fabric predominantly in your design as a way to celebrate African culture. Mm-hmm. I think it's... Um... In a one way, it's it's a complex history, but in another way, it's simple. It's not like there are other mm-hmm. people around the globe that are wearing it like we're wearing it, that are consuming it like we're consuming it. Even though it came right. to us through colonization and um, not a so pos- positive way that it came to Africa, we took it mm-hmm. and we made it our own. Right. So we have a long history with it, and we use it in a certain way that makes it ours now. So mm-hmm. that does take away the fact that we have local fabrics. Right. Additionally, we have our local fabrics that are cotton woven, and I love them. Most of the time, mm-hmm. it's just harder to access them from here because they're Absolutely. not internationalized like the wax prints are. And it's not something that you, at some point, I don't, I don't feel like I want it to become like a big game like the wax prints are because then we're going to lose um, our rights to them because now the wax prints are being printed mostly outside of Africa. We're not getting money out of it. Mm-hmm. But our traditional prints that we have is still being handwoven traditionally by most of the time women. So the mm-hmm. money goes back to the local creators and things like that. And I really enjoy that fact, even though I want right. people to learn more about it. And actually my my steps here with my business is that once I go back home after this pandemic, it's to be able to source those local fabrics and use them because they're handwoven. Mm-hmm. They're thick. They would be so great with winter coating. Right? Absolutely. So yeah. I'm that into... Um, my designs, but at the same time, I don't want it to start bec- becoming a commercialized, industrialized uh, approach where they must produce because it's going to lose the quality and it's going to lose that traditional vibe that we get from it. And a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. Yeah, the craftsmanship it. too. Exactly. Yeah. So, and uh, like I see that we have that and we have to celebrate those kind of traditional prints. But I also feel like the wax prints are ours now. <laughs> because if I, <laughs> Tell the Dutch. The people, yeah, no, it's not for them. They, they started it. We took it over. And we made it what it is now. If you go to their country, you're not going to see people walking around wearing it. Yeah. So for me, we're, we have a history with it. We're celebrating it in a certain way that makes it ours. 
Mm-hmm. And that's how we're sharing it to other people now. It would be better if we produce most of it. And I can see yeah. that there are certain countries on the continent that I have that, that started manufacturing them. So most mm-hmm. of the time, I would try to buy uh, styles that, like if I went travel back to Burkina Faso, I'll buy mm-hmm. some that are made in Ghana or Ivory Coast or Nigeria because yeah. I know where they're made. And I want to support local um, industries, but most of them are made in Asia, unfortunately, yeah. which makes it, uh, we want the, the economy, the economic impact to be on Africa. So my dream is that at some point we get more of the production going in Africa. But as we know, there's not a lot of manufacturing happening in the continent as it should. So right. when we get that part into, we'll, we'll have more value out of it. Yeah. I think a few, a few years back, there was a big controversy because Vlisco was trying to do this, this huge uh, event and they wanted to use predominantly white models, right? And that, and this is this is where it gets tricky. And then a lot of Africans, like there was a big outcry. Technically, though, <laughs> it's because they felt like it could read as cultural appropriation, but technically, that fabric isn't african although they have manufactured like I, and i see both sides of the story they've manufactured it for the african market and continue it continues to survive solely because of the african market so now when they had the chance to have this global stage for this event they wanted to have predominantly white models then it became a huge issue what do you think i think that um i see Blisco playing that weird game where you want us to buy your product, but you're not going to celebrate us wearing your products, basically. So Mm -hmm. those white models are not going to be the one wearing the the clothes every day in their life. So for me, you need to have that representation. You're targeting a certain market. So why would you want to not celebrate black people wearing those fabrics with black designers making those designs because mm-hmm. you know that's where the market is and that's where um, your product is being used, right? I mean, totally. they use that same logic when they're trying to sell their products here in Canada. They don't want to, to, uh, to put black folks on the advertisement because they're not targeting black folks necessarily or predominantly white people. So they don't want black people to, to appear on their, <laughs> on their advertisement because it's not their target audience whatsoever. So Vlisco target audiences, they're not white people. Yeah. I feel like at that point, I feel like it's just white privilege. It's like, we can wear it too. So why not? And yeah. we actually know you don't want to wear it. So why? <laughs> That's how I feel. Look, like a lot of, lot of white folks out there don't wear African prints. So but when it comes to be, to be modeling internationally, where it's like the visuals are high, the, mm. you know, the prestige that comes with it, then we all line up and we're, okay, we're going to wear it now. Yeah. So for this instance, I feel like there's a little bit of cultural appropriation happening because they're doing it's like a folklore for them. 
they mm. do it's like wearing, uh it's like wearing traditional uh first nation outfits here for halloween we know you're not gonna wear it all all year long as mm-hmm. you appreciate culture but yeah. when it comes to halloween you want to wear it because it's different it's unique or whatever yeah so when it came to the blisco um showcasing we know you're not wearing it all year long <laughs> it's not something yeah. that maybe you're wearing it once a year but for the for the sake of the event because it's prestigious now you want to uh hire white models to model it because of just probably trying to get more audience because they're thinking if it's black folks only people are not going to show up mm. and i feel like it's not fair to the to the black community because we always lose. They take things from us and we always lose. When it comes to where it's monetized or mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's out there for people to see in big, uh, in a big way, then we're pushed to the back. Basically. Right. And then uh, other cultures are presented, which is not fair. And so that's how I kind of understand why those people were like, no, this is not fair. I don't care mm-hmm. if it's being my somewhere else we know we're the ones wearing it we know we're the one advancing the fashion in that field so right. why aren't we presented when it comes to celebrating it yeah totally no I, I I think history changes a lot of things with like cultural identity and this is this is one where at some point there might not be anything Dutch left about it like one could argue, right? This this it, has just it was never Dutch to start with. What that too? It took it somewhere yeah. else, and they made it different <laughs> yeah. and sold yes. it on the other side. So they're yeah. doing business, but for us, it become it becomes our identity, right? Right. So business and identity is not at the same level, right? So we are yeah. really taking seriously, like. You have people that have tracking that have been tracking the evolution of the wax print um, fashion on the continent, and you can see the evolution. It's amazing, right? There are yeah. key patterns that are historic in Africa, right? So mm-hmm. uh, it's not, it doesn't happen anywhere else. Yeah. So that's that's true. And 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 also on a. To talk less shit about uh, Vlisco, they do quite a good job at actually going to a lot of West African countries, mostly because of the historical relationship that has happened with the trading of uh, the fabrics, to go and see and talk to um, a lot of the the big women who sell the fabric to see what sells and to actually ask them what the prints should be. So a lot of those designs are actually driven by African women who will tell them, these are, this is the writings you should put on here. Uh, like this specific plant, because a lot of it is also like patterns of, of, of plants or different things that, that also drive. So like, I think the other thing that Vlisco needs to do is to start acknowledging uh, the creative, uh, just credit where it comes from as well, because it's not just them. 
Divine, this is where me and you might diverge because I just mm. see them doing business. They want it to, see, yeah. to be, be like a huge hit and people buying. The money goes back to their accounts. So right. they need to be that certain strategy to listen to the feedback from customers so that you can get right. more profit out of it. So I see, the, I, see, I see it as them doing the due diligence so that they can get more money out of it. If they really wanted to impact uh, right. the continent, they would move their factories to Africa. They will never. That's what I'm talking about. They <laughs> like, really make an impact. Right. We all know they're move not it. there for our advancement. Move, move it there, and you'll see that the 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 return, some of it is going to stay on the continent. You know what I mean? So I yeah. feel like they're playing the field so that they can make more money. It, it's mm. not something that is uh, because seriously, I'm pretty like I don't know much about how they're in how Blisco works and who's working there. But I bet that you can count the number of black people working there. I bet. probably have consultants that are black mm-hmm. here and there. But they're not like the people being paid high there. They're not black. So for me, it's just like we just need to, uh, it's a technology that evolved. A lot of people are learning from it. And especially that a lot of parts of it are being printed in Asia now. We as black yeah. people, just need people to step forward. We, we already have manufacturers down in Africa doing it. And the funny thing is that the cotton that is being used to make those clothes are picked in Africa most of the time. A lot of the cotton right. is being picked. So for me, it's just like we need, uh, like how we're being told that we need to invest in the tech industry right now. Mm-hmm. We need to invest in the manufacturing of those clothing because we wear it anyways. We have the... Absolutely. We have the cotton that we're using to do it. So the whole manufacturing process, we just need to become better and invest in it and make it for ourselves and not just... Because this is money that we're sending outside of the continent each time that we buy it because it's not mm-hmm. being even there, right? So for me, if Blisco really wanted to give back to Africa for all the money that they've taken all these years, first thing... <laughs> Manufacturing things in Africa. Yeah. And so cheaper. Blisco, Blisco is one of the highest uh, brands to buy on the market when it comes to wax prints. And yeah. It's super expensive. Though the quality is great, it is too expensive for wax prints. And it's kind oh, yeah. of like those high brands that are selling their things expensive because of the name now. So oh, yeah, make totally. it right? Make it more accessible and make it Make it on the continent. Hire more black folks in your in your in your industry. You know what I mean? That's yeah. where I see the practical return and respect and consideration happening. It's not pretending or just using whoever you can so that you can move forward. Right. I want a win situation basically. Yes, I know. That's that's very true. Very good point. Now, actually talking about business and kind of like the business side of, of fashion, um, what has been the most challenging part of the your business side? Like, you know, there's the creative side where you get to have fun and, and then create these beautiful things. And then there's the, the, the real business side. Like, what has been the most challenging 
part of it all? Oh, where to start? Because as you can, as you noticed at the beginning when you mentioned it, I am I don't have an entrepreneurial or business background. I've been a little bit entrepreneurial growing up. I remember when I was in um, what junior high, begging my dad to. I was in a boarding school, so I begged my dad to buy me a camera, and I would take mm-hmm. pictures of the girl there. And then yeah. sell the sell it back to them. Nice. So the entrepreneurial spirit I had it like back when I was growing up, but I'd never had like that training or that seriousness come from uh, learning more about it. And so I did a little bit of like those little trading things growing up. Mm-hmm. So when I moved out here, I did science. We don't teach any business classes <laughs> when we're doing. <laughs> all so when i started wanting to um do to get into entrepreneurship and launch my own business i had to learn everything from scratch and i think is things are more challenging because when you're starting a business like this and you are the only person working on your business you have to do everything you're wearing a lot of hats so you have to do the creating you have to do the sourcing of product you have to do your research you have to be your um communication officer your uh, customer <laughs> marketing and your marketing your everything your pr <laughs> and so you're doing everything it's in accounting so you need to uh, choose and pick your battles mm-hmm. and you need to be very organized and strategic about where you're investing your time because everything becomes, especially when you're already like working full time. Right. So I feel like the challenging part for me was just running a business because there are so many components um, comes into it. So you're not just like doing your fun design part. And sometimes the designing part becomes a hassle because you don't, you need to find time, energy, to sit, relax, to come up with ideas. But when you're running around trying to run a business, then it becomes stressful. You're like, oh my God, okay, I need to come up with the new collection. And it becomes very stressful to even design and get inspirations, right? So it's just a lot to juggle. And I feel like it's just the the idea of like running the business itself is very, very, very heavy on the shoulders, but having mentors or community organizations that have the information, at least some of it, so that you don't have to go looking for all these helps a lot. So the support around you, yes, Mm -hmm. very necessary because, yeah, you start a business for your passion, but you have a lot of things around it that is not what you sign up for, but you have to deal with so that your business is successful. Well, I would say you've been you've been pretty successful and you have a few awards under your belt. Can you brag a little bit to the audience? <laughs> I can brag a lot about it, but oh, uh, please do. <laughs> no, it just it's just I think it's just um um interesting and it's also humbling when you see other people recognizing your work and feeling like, okay, you're designing things that are really nice and they see you as an up and coming designer, they appreciate your work. So yes, I, I, um, I went to the Vancouver African fashion week mm-hmm. and I was 
awarded designer of the year and I was really surprised and very happy about it. A lot of people came to me and said like, yes, your designs are different from what we used to. It's fresh, mm-hmm. it's different. I see, I see myself wearing African prints like this. And so it was really refreshing to have that recognition and see that, okay, especially when you're starting, right? It gives you that push yeah. like, okay, you're not just dreaming things up. You're not just having a big right. head on yourself and that people would actually wear your designs, right? Because I want my designs to be wearable. I don't want them to mm-hmm. be like a one-day type of clothing that you wear for a big party and that's it, right? So yes. having that recognizing, and that was like a few months after I launched my brand. So that was like a really Kickstarter and I was super excited about it. And then later in 2020, I got another award here in Edmonton for designer of the year at the um, African Canadian uh, Awards, which was really like nice because it has been a very, very hard year. <laughs> 2020. Absolutely very special year and to think about like i launched my business few months before all of the pandemic situation started it was just like uh, very very um timely to have that second award telling you you know what keep fighting you can do this totally and so what has been your pandemic silver lining my pandemic silver lining i think that I got one of the things that I always knew I had confirmed, basically, because after Mm -hmm. you move out from home to another country, you learn a lot of things. And one of the things that I learned early on was like, I'm very adaptable. So with my business, uh, it's not like I had a business before, but with the pandemic starting, I got very, like I pivoted and I started making cloth-based masks, right? I didn't around and be like oh all my festivals and events got cancelled I'm just going to sit here and cry <laughs> because after yeah. I invested all this money I have no outlet so even though it wasn't giving me the huge return that I was expecting it kind of kept me busy and hopeful and also I felt like I was serving a purpose because I was making masks to keep people safe and totally. I used my public background to like research and see what's the safest material for cloth based and all these things and that's why I sell my mask with like some filter papers in them so that people can like even feel safer so I think like that ability to pivot and in in realizing that because it's an important thing to have when you're running a business so my silver lining was like oh okay I can do this even in business totally so it kind of gave me that okay I discovered that I have a I have a fighting spirit to say (laughs) more than I even expected so that was a very nice silver lining with the pandemic situation that's a great one okay last question for you Alette is how would you like people to support you Hmm. what an amazing question I'm glad you asked (laughs) basically go to my website order something now (laughs) that's how you tell us what the website is yeah right people feel like okay they're home, they're not going anywhere and they don't want to shop maybe for clothes anymore. But if you don't shop now, then I don't exist in few months, basically. And mm. by the time you get around wanting to buy my things, I will not be there. Uh, my shop would be closed because, well, you didn't buy before. So basically, my the way to support me is if you see a design and you enjoy it and you like it, please proceed 
get some, buy one, gift one, buy a gift card, then you can spend it mm-hmm. later on on, my, on uh, designs that you like. So for me, it's really like, if you like what I'm doing, if you like the work, please mm-hmm. don't feel shy. No matter your color or skin, go for it. You won't you mm-hmm. won't be disappointed. I get a lot of great feed feedback on a product that I sell, and so and it's local here. It's um, Canadian, so you get like a great customer service, and you don't have to buy it from like outside of Canada and pay duties and taxes like that. And you don't have for those coming. From Africa, you don't have to travel every three, five years to get your outfits made there if you have great designs here that are adapted mm-hmm. to the Canadian context, right? So, yes, support. Yes, please. And head over to my website, follow me on Instagram. And, yeah, uh, Mother's Day is mm-hmm. coming. Father's Day is coming. Buy them a little gift from my shop and support the business. Totally. And can you tell the audience what your website is? Yes, my website is uh, www.kinkynapparel.ca. Awesome. Thank you very much. Make sure you check out Alette's designs and use discount code DESIGNUNMUTEDFAM to get 10% off. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Design Unmuted podcast brought to you by Divine. If you liked what you heard, please rate and tell your friends about it. You can subscribe so you never miss an episode. Find me on Instagram at Ramesha Design Unmuted and also on my website at www.rameshadesign.com. The track you're hearing is called Under the Sun by Kafaye, singer-songwriter and produced by Ozenit or Zenith by Kiga and Saint-Jean. Enjoy. Enjoy.